flag on the play. Everyone's getting thrown out today. Welcome to the Unsportsmanlike Conduct Podcast. Alongside my core four co-hosts, Justin, Kent, and Alex. I'm your moderator, Hector Boyce. And we've got a jam-packed show for you today as we make our way through the associations. It is October 16th, 2020. And before we start, this is the inaugural episode of the Unsportsmanlike Conduct Podcast. Um, first of all, on SFC Radio, I would just like to say... We are excited to be bringing you the greatest news around the sports associations, and it's going to be a great time. Um, but before we start, I want to actually go ahead and introduce my co-host. Um, we're going to start with Kent. Let him know who you are, bro. What's up, guys? My name is Kent. I'm a senior at St. Francis College. I've been a diehard sports fan my whole life. I've been a Yankees fan, Rangers fan, Giants fan, and Nets fan. And like I said, I'm just really excited to you know get this going and let the St. Francis people know what's going on with the sports world. Yes, sir. Let them know who you are, Alex. Uh, so I'm Alex. I'm also a senior at St. Francis College. Uh, and I can't wait to share all my knowledge and what I think about everything in the realm of sports. And rounding off with my boy Justin. Let them know who you are, brother. I'm Justin Rowley, uh, junior at St. Francis College. Um, I love sports. I started watching it at the age of five, honestly. And I'm a huge NBA and NFL fan, and I just want to share this podcast with you guys and uh, tune you guys into a good sports passion. And yes, going as for me, I'm Hector Boyce. I'm a senior also at St. Francis. I'm a diehard Knicks, Yankees, uh, Virginia Tech Hokies fan, um, as well as a San Francisco 49ers fan. And um, sports is in my blood, so I can't wait to a- actually go ahead and share what I have and my thoughts with you guys. But without further ado, let's get straight into it, and we're going to start our news around the baseball diamond. And we've already had a couple of moments to talk about throughout the first two weeks of the playoff. But I don't think anything's been more shocking than the run by the Tampa Bay Rays themselves. They've coasted through the wild card series all the way through the American League Championship Series, and now they've got a 3-1 lead heading into Game 5 tonight against the Houston Astros, or should I say the Houston Asterix. Um, and they're one win away from the World Series. So we're actually going to start out um, our conversation with my boy Kent. Kent, you got to tell me, what do you think what's going on in the playoffs right now? Well, what the Rays are doing is definitely very impressive. And, you know, it's a shot. It's one of those things that it's fair to say is shocking, but also is it really? Because the Rays are one of those teams that's steadily been improving for the last three years, and now they look at it as they are the team to beat in the American League, and they decided to go out this season and prove that they were the team to beat in the American League. They beat the Yankees in a very close five-game series in an epic game five, dominant pitching, great defense, clutch hitting, and now they've put the now they've got the defending American League champion Houston Astros. They had them 3-0. The Astros were able to Put, pull together a gutsy win in Game 4, but the Rays are probably not phased by that. They're looking to just close it out tonight in what should be a very interesting game. You know, we got a, a, the Rays are rolling the bullpen game out there with John Curtis starting, most likely only going to pitch an inning or two, and then we'll see the Rays' bullpen take over from there. And the Astros, you know, it's, they, they were able to hang on. They were able to stay alive due to a great performance by their uh, social butterfly, Zach Greinke. And... As we, it's interesting that we start this recording now. Uh, game five has actually already started, and Houston is off to a one nothing lead on a home run by George Springer. So, 
The Astros are definitely not giving up without a fight, but the Rays are trying to step on the get, keep their foot on the gas, and keep it going, and really and get to that World Series and challenge whichever team comes in the NL. The Rays are a very confident team, and watch out. You know, this is this is a very big moment for them, and you know, we'll see how it handles tonight. But off to a bit of a shaky start, I suppose. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I like that you brought up um, John Curtis, for example, um, the bullpen game. That's what that's the Rays' model for almost the last decade. Um, we all know about um, their circumstances when it comes to actually having one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, yet finding talent, and it's led them to this game five, where they have another chance to clinch. Um, this afternoon, um, it doesn't seem like they've been phased by anyone who comes their way. They had Garrett Cole in Game Five. They they started out the series against the Astros, and the Astros have almost out hit, not almost have out hit the Rays in the first four games of this series, and yet they have come around and they have won the first three games. So, I find it remarkable that they just they don't care who comes in between them. They they find a way somehow, some way through defense, through offense. Gene Manchoy has been a, a spectacle of, over at first base. Um, Austin Meadows coming through with one of the clutch home runs in game five for um, the Rays mm-hmm. to lead them here. Big deal. But um, I actually want to focus a little bit, a little bit over to the NL side. Um, we saw that the Dodgers have been handling their business. They went off to a quick, um, they went down 2-0 to the Atlanta Braves coasted through their um, division series against the Florida Marlins. And now we see that the Dodgers woke up yesterday, put up an 11th spot in the first inning. So tell me what you thought, Ken. Um, is it what you expected out of the Dodgers? I mean, what I, I remember after game two, I said to my friend, uh, you know, the, in game two, the Braves managed to go up 7 nothing, and the Dodgers made a furious comeback in the last three innings, and they ended up losing the game 8-7. But I remember saying to my friend, the Braves may be up 2-0, but if the Dodgers' offense just woke up, it could be bad news Braves. You know, it could be very bad for them. And, you know, sure as heck, you know, 11 runs. It's amazing. The Braves managed to set the record for the most runs allowed in a single postseason inning, a record that goes all the way back to last season when the Braves also gave up 10 runs in one inning. So clearly limiting the big inning is something that the Braves need to work on. And usually we say limiting the big inning, that means not allowing them to put up three, not allowing them to put up four. The Dodgers put up 11 runs in one inning, and that just goes to show how good the Dodgers can be. And it goes to show, like, that series is not over. That series is definitely not over. And we'll see tonight, I mean, if the Dodgers' offense is really back or if the Braves can get their pitching back in order, the Dodgers are sending Clayton Kershaw to the mound. Everybody knows Clayton Kershaw's issues in the playoffs. But the Raves look like they're also loading up with a bullpen game as they've got Bryce Wilson starting, who probably will only go an inning or two. It's really interesting to see the emergence of this bullpen game being put in in must-win games. You know, teams that maybe don't have the best starting pitching will will go to their bullpen. So it's definitely going to be very interesting to see if the Dodgers can keep it rolling or if the Braves can bounce back. I thought, I thought that Justin brought up a good point before the show even started. He actually was a little surprised because he thought that the Dodgers, you know, would be coasting through this series. But we know when we get to this time in October, anything can happen. And, I mean, that's the slogan even going into this year. We know that during these COVID and these hard times that we're even lucky to be watching these sports. But in general, that um, 
you would have thought that the Dodgers were going to coast through um, the National League Championship Series. But um, I want to see your take, Justin, on do you think that the Dodgers feel any type – do you think they're phased by the Dodgers going – I mean, I'm sorry, the Atlanta Braves going up two games to nothing um, off the rip? Or do you think that was a wake-up call more for the Braves after they had that immense offense burst out in the first inning? Well, I feel like the Dodgers actually do have the momentum on their side now that they won game three. And I believe that all the pressure has now gone on to the Braves because the Dodgers, they've been here before. You know, we've seen them have a lot of great playoff runs in the last couple of years. Um, They have veteran leadership. And, you know, that's a team that's just never out of it, no matter how you put it. Um, So I feel like if the Braves somehow don't come out firing today, this series could flip right over to the Dodgers' side, and um, yeah, they could just they can win this all. I definitely agree with that. You know, it, it's one of those things that, like, you know, it's, with sports and COVID, in a normal situation, if the Braves had won two games in Dodger Stadium and then got to go home to Atlanta again with their crowd, I would absolutely be all on board with the Braves. But you know, they're playing in in uh, the the Rangers' new Paul Park. There's not as many fans. I actually are. I can't remember which which stadium's allowing fans again. I think it's actually that one, but Globe Life, yeah. Yeah, I don't. So it doesn't really matter. Home field advantage has always been kind of a weird thing in baseball. I mean, look at the World Series last year. All all seven games were won by the road team. But I definitely would feel a lot better for the Braves if they were playing at home in Atlanta for Game Four rather than playing in Rangers Park. So. Definitely, I agree. The momentum feels like it's probably switched over to the Dodgers, and it's now up to the Braves to respond. Absolutely. I think I think you brought up a good point. People forget about the traveling game when it comes to, um, really, in, in all sports aspects. Uh, the hometown crowd plays a huge, a huge difference in the way the momentum of a team can move, but also the players themselves. I remember a couple years ago, the wildcard game, Johnny Cueto, after he dropped the ball and they were screaming his name, you know, even if it was a, it just, it was a coincidence. The fact that he dropped that ball and the next pitch happened to be a Russell Martin solo shot, it just drove that entire place insane because they said, we got to this dude. We feel like we got to this dude. We stuck up for our hometown team. So I think that's a big and, and a huge factor. I like the fact that you brought that up, Ken. It does play a big role. But Alex, in the end, do you think it really matters during a COVID year? Do you think at the end of the day, most people are going to look around the associations in all four sports and say, no, this season just doesn't count? Well, I think that's all a matter of perspective because the people Good who point. play the sports, you know, they do love to play the sports. There's a reason why they're in it, whether it be anything from baseball, football, hockey, soccer, anything. They play because they like to. Obviously, the money's good and it's an incentive. Don't get me wrong, but, you know. It's still, they do it because they love the sport. So just because, you know, the seasons were shortened or different rules had to be applied to, you know, deal with how COVID is, I just think it's a little unfair to say so. Because just because your team lost doesn't mean you get to blame it on COVID and, you know, scrap the whole season. It's still the same game. Nothing really changed. Like, you know, I think this season absolutely counts. And even, like, for, the you know, baseball, like, they had way fewer games than they were supposed to, like, way fewer and, like, they're still playing it out. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is an example of people who still want to play the game. And even if the Astros, Rays, or the Dodgers, or the Braves, whoever wins, 
if anyone's like, oh, it's messed up because of COVID, I, that's, they're just wrong. You know, it's, yeah. it's just the way life is. You know, there's always going to be those people that think that it's going to be kind of an asterisk season, like, uh, like it's a short season or whatever. But, like, I actually think the opposite. I think this, this championship might have, especially for, like, maybe not as much for the MLB, but especially for sports like the NHL and the NBA, where they literally had to pause their season. And everyone's momentum grinded to a halt. And then all of a sudden had to get back in and jump right into playoff-style hockey and playoff-style basketball. You know, it, it maybe isn't the same, but I definitely don't think you can discredit what the Los Angeles Lakers or the Tampa Bay Lightning were able to do. And whichever no, team ends up winning for... I know, and you're absolutely right. But also, like, another thing, too, is, like, you know, Kershaw is starting again this game. You're going to say that, like, oh, you know, he got injured, but and still was like, I want to play and get a pitch, and, like, I feel a bit That's better, a whatever. And now he's playing again? Like, you think he should have been like, oh, it's a fake season, I don't want to play, I don't really care about winning, it's a fake season? No, he's still playing. And I think that's what's most important about this season, you know, it's about the, um, the mental um, aspect of it. And, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he quits out because he, like, thinks it's like a throwaway season, that's, like, really not showing, like, a championship pedigree anyway. And, you know, it's all about, like, you know, like, with no crowds, you got You guys got to play as a team. Like that's how all the baseball teams have to uh, look at it like that. Absolutely. I think I think you brought up a great point, Justin. Because at the end of the day, all of you you guys um just killed it with that segment. Because I think when it goes back to it, like I had said previously, it's gonna be historic circumstances when you look at the championships that are won this year. Everyone's gonna know that. It's gonna be in the history books. Um. COVID literally stopped a season, and to all the leagues that wound up resuming their seasons, they have to get all the credit in the world because you have to imagine, since March, there was a good chance that we weren't going to get any sports for the rest of 2020. So we're lucky enough to even have that. But I think when you look at it, switching over to the blacktop, um, they did a, such a tremendous job. And I'm talking from TV production into the bubble system itself as we talk about the NBA and we have a new champion in the association guys the Los Angeles Lakers are back on top of the new league. champion <laughs> new champion LeBron James wins his first as a Los Angeles Laker fourth overall in his historic career and this finals I actually I heard something somebody said that this was the lowest rated actually historic um NBA finals of all time and I kind of found that a little bit almost like ironic being that most of us are stuck at home. And most, us, most sports enthusiasts, there's not a lot that we're going to watch. So it was a Jimmy Butler versus uh, LeBron James final where we had the Los Angeles Lakers defeat the Heat in five games in what looked like a defensive clinic, really. So starting out with you, Kent, what would you take away from these NBA finals? Well, it was definitely a fun series to watch, and I got to hu- give huge credit to my boy Jimmy Butler, honestly, because Absolutely. for a long time I've been talking about how Jimmy Butler is one of the more underrated players in the league because he doesn't put up maybe the, the most flashy stats, doesn't have like the, not maybe always considered the best scorer, but every team he goes to is good. Every team he goes to succeeds. You know, he was on Philly last year, and you know they pushed the NBA champion Raptors to a Game 7 where Kawhi hit that crazy shot that everyone maybe you should still remember, you know, where the guy goes, he wins. And he's usually one of the best players on his team, if not the best player. And he 
certainly challenged LeBron. And you can look at that, like, I mean, they're the only team that pushed the Lakers beyond Game 5. And that's because sure. Jimmy Butler took sure. over when it mattered. Especially when guys like Bam started getting hurt, Dragas started getting hurt. Jimmy Butler took over and said, all right, maybe I can't win this, but I'm going to see just how far I can drag this team by the ear. And, wow, he did. But you're absolutely right to call it a defensive clinic. That Game 6 was one of the most impressive displays of defensive basketball that I had seen in the NBA, certainly, for a long time. I'm one of those guys that kind of stopped watching the NBA for a little bit just because it became kind of like a no-defense, all-flash, like jump-shoot threes all day. It was really refreshing to see a team like the Lakers play a really good, and the Heat even, for that matter, play a really good team defense. You know, we had Anthony Davis blocking the paint like it was nothing. You know, LeBron always locked the... LeBron had a few moments where defensively maybe got exposed a little bit, but when it mattered, he locked down the best player on every team whenever along every step of the way. So definitely adds to LeBron's legacy. It's going to keep riling people up talking about whether or not LeBron's a GOAT or not. And, you know, he definitely is proving that he is worthy of those talks. Maybe you may not believe that he is the GOAT, but he definitely has proven that he should be in that discussion. You know that talk about him chasing the ghost is never going to end. But, Justin, I got to get to you, bro. I remember you telling me, heck, it's going to be it's gonna be kind of shocking if I even see them take it five games. And if they do take it to um, five games, that's a gentleman's sweep. So you got to tell me, JR, what you thought about um, just the Heat taking it to six games. Because um, I know you were shocked. We were all shocked when the Clippers went out. But this was even more shocking. Yeah, um, I was really shocked, honestly, because like the I like I have to give credit to Jimmy Butler again, like Ken said. Um, I honestly thought when Dragic and Bam went down, it would have been a sweep, just because of what we've seen the consistency of the Lakers doing in previous rounds in the Western Conference, and for a team that's the fifth seed to not only get to the finals but take a team that was the number one seed, uh, six games with one superstar and like mm-hmm. two players, two main players that were starters to, to get out. I, I think that was impressive enough and I have to give credit to Eric Spolcher as well because, you know, Always his own defense, his, his own defense been working and the fact that like they had to force like they actually had a great strategy against Anthony Davis if you really want to think about it. Like the games that they, uh, the Lakers did lose um, I believe he had like 14 or 15 points in the game five when they did lose, and that actually worked for the Heat. However, I feel like Jimmy Butler playing 40 minutes and not really like getting any rest kind of impacted game six, and it was kind of easier for the Lakers to get back to their roots. You know, they were inside paint playing team, and you know, I feel like the Heat, they just ran out of gas, honestly. That's a good point. I, I also thought that, um, once the display, and that was one heck of a first round, him taking on TJ Warren against the Indiana Pacers, they both went back and forth, but you saw the leadership presence of Jimmy Butler. He always seemed to come up with a shot, um, throughout that first round that made TJ Warren look like, sit down, young fella, I'm still teaching over here. So... I thought that that was like a big deal because I think that we can all agree that the Indiana Pacers are going to get better. And it's not just because of TJ Warren on that team. I think that if they have good, um, not so much leadership because they can drive off of him, but if they have the right pieces around them, plus they're going to get back a couple of pieces. They lost, um, forgot his name, um, former OKC Thunder, um, 
Um, I forgot his name, but um, if they get him back, they're gonna be a great um, team. Are you talking about Sabonis? Uh, yeah. My boy Sabonis. If yeah, they get yeah, yeah. Sabonis back, they're gonna be a great team. They they dismantled the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, yeah. but Alex, at the end of the day, LeBron comes up king again. I mean, he has a legacy that only a lot can dream of. So, what do you think about LeBron winning his fourth overall? Uh, I think LeBron winning his fourth overall is good for him. Uh, you know, it's just that's how it is. Put to put it bluntly, uh, to say he's the goat, uh, obviously that's up for debate and discussion with anyone and everyone. I feel. Um, but also, I just want to touch back on Game Six. You know, LeBron was on the court for 41 minutes and he only had 28 points. Like that's not that good of a performance for LeBron. Like he's had way better, obviously. Right, so to, not to his standards. So to say that. Like, the Lakers would have won, you know, mainly because LeBron's the best of all time and, and the GOAT. I disagree. I think that the Lakers won specifically because all around they're a very, very good team. And I think that the Heat just honestly couldn't put up with that. But hats off to the Heat for, you know, at least winning two games. Like that's it's, it's funny that you talk about, like, the team's abilities because, like, you know, LeBron's kind of gotten criticized throughout his career for, like, only winning when he's on, like, a super team. And... You know, like no, when, he was, heat, when he was on the Heat, when he was on the Heat, it is. But and despite the fact that this may not have been his best team, you know, like I don't think this team is as good as the 2012 and 2013 Heat were. I don't think this team oh, is even as good as the Cavs were when they had Kyrie and Kevin Love. But I feel like Anthony Davis is his best teammate. That's that's a good point. That's a great point, but I think we also all have to agree that at this point in LeBron's career. He's also taken not it's not leadership. He's he's excelled that throughout his career. What he's done, he's taken on the teaching role. LeBron does not want to put up thirty five anymore, thirty anymore. He and is I, literally and he allowing exactly. He's literally allowing guys like Kyle Kuzma, who we want to see step it up, and he's letting his big man, his Shaq, Anthony Davis eat. So I think we can all say LeBron is at the twilight of his career where he's like, You guys better take over because I already know how good I am. And, no, and the thing about LeBron spot. is, like, he knows exactly, like, throughout his entire career, uh, LeBron always knew how to get the best out of his teammates because they know their roles, you know? They know how to adjust to how his playing style works. And adding uh, prime Anthony Davis in his 20s, you know, averaging nearly 28 points in the playoffs, it, it benefits LeBron because he's 35, right. you all know. So he doesn't have, like, he's an all-around star. He averaged a triple-double, I believe, in the series. And he wasn't the first option, but he knows how to affect the game. He knows how to get everyone involved, like to, to get his role players involved. But he knows Anthony Davis is the main guy. And when it's time to take over, he either will get the pass or he'll take the shot. Well, he was 6-8 for eight in the finals, game six, and that was huge for the team. And... Yeah, LeBron just know how to affect the game all around. That's what makes him one of the best ever. I don't think anybody can dispute that. Alex, you were making a great point. Um, what were you saying? Uh, specifically about what I was saying, a whole lot of things. Um, if if we're talking about, about LeBron, him absolutely. going to a team absolutely makes a team better. Like, there's no doubt about it. You know, one player can change the tide of the game, obviously. But the fact that he has so many other weapons at his disposal is what makes the Lakers team now such a strong and powerful team. And also with someone at the helm like LeBron James, like he, you know, he's the captain, obviously. Like he, everyone listens to him because they think he's the greatest of all time or at least the greatest of their generation for sure. 
So I, you know, I think to say that LeBron won, the, you know, the the actual final is is pushing it absolutely. I think he had a ton of help from Anthony Davis, of course, and I just think the whole team is what really got him there. This because you've seen him on teams that aren't this good, and he gets them to the playoffs or the finals. And then they just can't, you know, make that final push. Can't make the win. over the hump, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is the first championship that LeBron has won, in my opinion, where he hasn't. Where you could even argue, like maybe he wasn't even the guy carrying. You know, I think he and I don't think either one. You know, I had this argument with my friends where we were talking about like it, like when we were talking about Finals MVP, like who do you think should win? And regardless, I you could give it to either of them. That's the first time in LeBron's career you could ever really say that. because And it's, it's good because at this point in his career, like Justin mentioned, you know, the man's 35. He can't carry a team the way that he could. And, you know, I think Anthony Davis is the perfect teammate for him right now. And they both really carry that load pretty evenly. So And, the, and their, and their um, relationship, I mean, the way they take it on the court, their, their connection is, is pretty remarkable. Um. You know, remember free agency about a year ago? What was the big headline once the the biggest news during the summer was LeBron heading to L.A.? The biggest news was who's going to join LeBron, and then the news that broke afterwards, who's joining LeBron, and the gossip that went on around that. Oh, nobody wants to join LeBron in L.A. He's too difficult to work with. Jimmy Butler won't join him. Um, Anthony Davis, mm, who knows? I mean, people were throwing out all these scenarios, but the real talk was that LeBron was going to have a tough time finding a teammate to join him in L.A. because nobody wants to be second to the best. So I find that remarkable now that LeBron, even at age 35, still is looking down on the league saying, this is still this is still my playpen. I mm-hmm. still do this. I mean, I also want to touch back on you know the whole LeBron being the greatest of all time thing. Um, like, sure, yeah, he's won a lot of finals and stuff, and he has rings, but, like, Tom Brady has the most rings, but also people always say that Peyton Manning right, right. or any other quarterback for that matter, like they were just better because, you know, either the stats are better, like anything to like dispute yeah. it. Like rings do speak highly of your ability, but also your stats speak even higher, apparently. Yeah. For me to even consider LeBron like the GOAT or the best ever, he has to have at least one PP, honestly. Four and six that's a, that's isn't a, really good enough for me. Um, it's not that good at all. But since going to the final ten times is impressive, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt just because most of his teams weren't that good compared to stacked teams like on the Warriors. So it's pretty like, okay, I understand that you got there and that you couldn't complete this because you were the only show there against this particular team. But... Kobe Bryant has a three-peat. Michael Jordan has a three-peat. Mm-hmm. The Russells not. of the world. He chose, right. He chose to leave Miami when he had two other superstars with him before completing mm-hmm. the goal that he set in which he quoted, I will win eight championships here. So people have to keep in mind, like, yes, LeBron has done a lot for the league. He's been the face of the league. But there's things he hasn't accomplished yet to actually get to where Michael Jordan was. Because Michael Jordan mm-hmm. retired, came back, repeated again after already retiring, winning three rings. And easily, if he didn't retire, maybe we look at Michael Jordan being 8-0 possibly. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. I think what you can also say is, um, at the end of the day, nobody's saying he's not. But let's not forget, nobody's ever going to use this word, not in the disrespectful aspect, but Jordan, at the end of the day, was transcendent. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. LeBron James, I, I'm not, and this is no type of disrespect, it's very hard for you to go around in even everyday society. People who don't watch sports, I've never heard somebody actually say, I want to be LeBron James. I've heard people who don't see sports actually say, man, man, it would be cool to be Michael Jordan. He changed the league forever with mm-hmm. David Stern. My my thing yeah, about no, Le- you're definitely spot on. My thing about LeBron has always been, you know, like I don't think you can argue that he is in the conversation for one of the best players of all time. And I don't even believe these. But be- I agree with you, Justin. Like I don't believe he's better than MJ. But since when has it been an insult to say that you're second to MJ? You know, like when is when has that ever been like something to drag him down? You know, like you're saying. I feel like he's earned that title. Mm-hmm. He, or he, I think he's earned all four, you know, and, you know, people say like, oh, like he was, well, what, he's now four and six in the finals now, but, you know, he ran into some ridiculous teams by himself, you know, like he dragged multiple Cleveland teams that were pretty awful to the finals and then just got whooped by, by three players who are all three of them in the top 10, maybe, Absolutely. maybe all three I mean, in the top 10 for th- oh, this generation. The they definitely are. Yeah, they definitely are. I they think. top 10. Personally, I think LeBron's greatest feat was at the age of 23 when he led that Cavs team by himself to that NBA Finals against the Spurs. People have to people have to remember. You look around that team. Who were his teammates? Ogalskis, Barajal. Oh, that was bad. Daniel Gibson was an option. People, that's not easy. <laughs> that that's amazing what LeBron did. He literally carried a team to a final. We use and we toss that word around and say, yeah, he carried them. He carried them. No, LeBron literally carried a team, averaging almost 45. I'm talking, and that's a little hy- hyperbolic, but How do you he averaged 38 that's to insane. get a team to the finals. That's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, just look at how bad teams are once LeBron leaves. Like, look at how bad Cleveland was once LeBron left. Look at how, like, bad, my, well, I guess not bad. Miami managed to hang around because they still had Wade, and then they ended up getting Butler. So, like, Miami managed right. to do better than... But, like, you know, Cleveland, that was one of the most ridiculous rebuilds ever because they were one of the best teams. LeBron left. Then they got two or three number one draft picks in a row because they were that bad. And then LeBron came back, and they had a team. So, like, it was was definitely a very interesting one. But, yeah, LeBron James definitely has cemented his legacy as one of, as probably, in my opinion, the best player of our generation and right up there. And, you know, we say he's 35. You know, he's not done yet. He might. He can add another one. He can certainly add another one. That's the everlasting question. Um, when is LeBron gonna give it up, or um, is he still chasing the ghost? But you know that question, endless. You guys, it'll never end. But the question that that keeps circulating around is, and, and the topic that keeps circulating, we just covered it. It's COVID and the way some of these leagues have handled it. And we've got to switch over to the gridiron where the NFL, the way they've handled um. The, um, the COVID um, disease, it's kind of like a little bit shocking because as somebody put it, they're almost like heads on with it. They don't care if it's here or not. They they want to get their games in and they're trying to handle it the best way that they can. And we've had an inconsistency of COVID tests across the leagues. Um, the Broncos and Pats game just moved. And um, I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Like, will we get a full season in? I think right now it so far looks like it. We surprisingly are moving forward. You know, like a lot of people thought once COVID tests started coming back positive that they would just shut down. The NFL has received 
some criticism about how they've handled this season, and, you know, it's not completely unjustified. A lot of people think they maybe should have attempted to do some kind of bubble, but I think they did a really good job of, so far at least, of limiting it as much as they can. And I think we've also had a little bit of issues where, like, there's been a couple of reports of false positive tests coming, which, you know, it's, it's you know, ever, no, no one's ever been through a season during a pandemic right. before so we're all just kind of we're all just kind of guessing and hoping for the best i think the nfl is doing as good a job as they can be you know they're moving games it's a weird season everybody knows that we're getting games on tuesdays now we're getting games you know moved around scheduled right. around it hasn't been too bad yet but so far i guess you know it's been rocky but the boat's not sinking yet i don't know ken it sounds like you're complaining about tuesday night football i <laughs> It's definitely a, an adjustment. I'm used to recording games and then watching them on Tuesday. Now I get to watch live football on Tuesday. Right, right. For me, for me, it's, uh, I, I love that Alex even brought that up because the other day I'm literally like, we're just so used to Sunday is football day. We've got Monday night football also. But um, to, I, I was channel surfing, and then when I saw the Tennessee Titans taking on the Buffalo Bills this past Tuesday, I was like, Holy crap, I totally forgot we had this game for the week. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the best games of the week, actually. If anybody tuned in, we saw the undefeated-led um, um, Josh Allen Bills go up into Tennessee and take on Ryan Tannehill's Titans. What you guys think of that game? I mean, you know that the young stud, he's going up there, and he's trying to prove himself. He's coasting through the AFC East. But Ryan Tannehill has had one heck of a comeback in his career, and we're not going to get into this conversation, but... Thank God he got away from Adam Gase, right, Ken? Yeah, definitely the best that Tannehill's ever looked in his career. And it was a good game. It was one of those things where, like, I guess maybe my personal complaint about Tuesday Night Football is that all of my fantasy matchups were already done, so I was trying to look ahead the next week, but I kept having to wait right, for Tuesday right. to be game to be played. But, yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of reasons why certain quarterbacks don't work with certain coaches, and, you know, the Jets are dealing with this whole thing with Adam Gase. And, you know, it's the Tannehill really has emerged. Like, I always thought, you know, they were a run offense. They got Derrick Henry, who, you know, he's still a beast. I think Josh Norman is still flying through space from that stiff arm. <laughs> he's still, I don't think he's landed yet. I think he's still moving. From but, you know, they, they, they look like a legit point. team. They look like a legit team. And Tannehill, you know, I still, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that Tannehill's a top quarterback, but... He's on a team that works. He's he's on a system that works, and sometimes that me means more than being good. Uh, sorry to I'll cut you off. No problem. Tannehill's actually earned his contract because it was a lot of controversy. Great point, uh, Justin. Yeah, like everyone was like complaining. Oh my gosh, Ryan Tannehill has a hundred million from the Tennessee Titans. He got paid before Doug Henry. Uh, Doug Henry is the reason why they were even good. But I feel like now that they both respectfully got their contracts. The chemistry is actually, you know, still there with Tennessee and that they're proving that last season wasn't a fluke and that they can possibly probably go to the Super Bowl this year. And um, I feel like Tanner, yeah, yeah, him getting away from Gates was actually the life-saving decision for his career. And I just think, like, he found his home. Um, he has a great defense. And I think, like, Tennessee is actually contenders after what we saw what they did to Buffalo, beating them 16-42. I don't mean also, to. I uh, undefeated too. But the key yeah, yeah, that's like, the that's fact that like Josh Allen. Allen actually had a pretty good game. Like if right, he had right. those two interceptions, like it would have been way closer. Like he just had 
you know, a, a bad game, and that happens to a lot of quarterbacks. Also, I think that the state might have to send the National Guard up to Buffalo if, if they keep playing the way they're playing, because Bill's not <laughs> going to get way uh, out of control. Just to butt in real quick, Tampa Bay Rays have just tied the game. Brandon Lau just hit a solo home run. And he's been so cold. I like that you brought that up, because he really has had he's had to break out. Um, if they, As somebody said it perfectly, if they're going to go into a deep run, clinch this American League title, but even think that they're going to win a World Series, he's got to wake up. But yep. um, going back to what you said, Alex, um, we, we kind of know the contending teams in the NFL now. Well, I've I can fine. promise you it's not the Jets or the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, for uh, my end, I mean, my San Francisco 49ers, we're done for the year. We're going to lose our NFC title. We're going to vacate it. Somebody's going to take it from us. And, um, I, and I say there, there's no shame in that because that's like the hardest division right now. No oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's always pride in it, but um, I'm I'm proud to say I have an excuse this year. You know, <laughs> we lost Nick Bosa, we lost Solomon, we've lost D Ford and so many other players. But um, on your guys' take, it's looking like Russell Wilson once again. He's always been into his own, but now it's looking like let Russell eat. Russell Wilson is looking to get back to another Super Bowl and almost not resurrect the Legion of Boom of Doom. My fault. But um, almost solidify that you guys have overlooked me for way too long. I deserve to be up there with the Aaron Rodgers of the world and the Patrick Mahomes of the world. I mean, the fact that Russell. Yeah, I was gonna say the fact that Russell Wilson has never received an MVP vote is one of the most astonishing things ever, and it's crazy because when you look back at the last few years, it almost it, it it makes sense in a weird way because like you know like. He wasn't going to beat Matt Ryan the year Matt Ryan won it. He obviously wasn't going to beat Mahomes the year he won it. But it's insane that, like, he's just been balling. And, like, I I get it because the beginning of his career when the Seattle had that Legion of Boom and had that great defense, he was more of, like, a game-managing quarterback. But you cannot say that now. I mean, Seattle's defense is not anywhere near what it used to be. In fact, you know, it's it's actually now, like, Russell Wilson looks like one of the best deep deep passers in the league. You know, he's got a good receiving core. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are killing it for them. They're getting good production out of an old guy like Greg Olson. I didn't know Greg Olson was still in the league. I didn't even know he was still playing. I, I, I got to disagree with you, bro. Uh, Russell Wilson actually had three seasons where he's thrown 30 touchdowns or more. Oh, of course. He's, he's had... He's, I feel like, that's a great like, point. I feel like although the defense has always been the spotlight of his success on that team, I feel like Russell Wilson has been underrated far too long. Mm-hmm. And he's actually changed the game for shorter quarterbacks for like people like Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray in today's day and age. And I feel like to not even get like one single vote for an MVP, it's kind of like crazy to me. And I feel like now that he's building the momentum, being 5-0 and the best start She's definitely be getting one this year. I feel like now everyone's finally realizing, yo, this guy is the truth. And I feel like this could be the year he wins both MVP and the Super Bowl. But, you know, things don't turn out like that all the time. But it's really possible now. Absolutely. I think when we can also look back, the mobile quarterback has changed the league forever. I mean, we're talking a history that, that goes back into Randall Cunningham and then the Next best thing we saw was Michael Vick. And then we saw Russell Wilson come into the league along with Colin Kaepernick. And Mm -hmm. they were the next best. The next best thing, but the chosen of the future for the league, in a sense. 
And even though he's not kind of considered that, Patrick Mahomes is a mobile quarterback. He's the best quarterback in the league. Nobody can dispute that. I feel but like him, I want to um before before you get to your, um take Justin, I wanted to actually ask Alex um do you think that the old quarterback, aka the Drew Brees of the world, the Tom Brady's, who now are kind of getting criticized, kind of they're on the decline now. Do you think that the mobile quarterback is the future of the league? Look at Lamar Jackson. Youngest MVP in league history. Well, I mean, there's again, you can look at it from a lot of angles. Like some teams basically build their offense around a mobile quarterback. Like the, the Patriots, you know, they were like, "Well, Tom Brady, he's not very mobile. However, he can throw a pretty damn good ball. Uh, mm-hmm. So why don't we just get a bunch of giant people to protect him?" Exactly. That's my my big thing is the reason I think a lot of people like the mobile quarterback now is because. In order to have a quarterback that stays in the pocket, you know, the way Breeze does and the way Brady does, you, you there's a lot that needs to go well. You you can't have a bad o- offensive line and have a non-mobile quarterback. You know, you need – and even towards the end of their careers when their offensive line maybe isn't as good and they're getting a little older, they're now relying on having to throw quick slant routes. You know, like they don't hold on to the ball for long enough to get sacked because we know that if they get pressure, look at what the Giants were able to do to Brady even in his prime. You know, like, you put pressure on them. He's a guy that can't move out of the pocket. He just collapses a little bit. And the Giants were able to win two Super Bowls. Sweet. Because of it. Yeah, and, you know, that that's part of the reason why I think the mobile quarterback is becoming more popular. Because offensive lines, you know, like, there, there are a couple of really good offensive lines in the league. But the average NFL team probably has some weaknesses on those lines. And that's why guys like Kyler got Kyler Murray's got to run around. Lamar Jackson's well, got to run it's around. It's hard to get a full and the reason, line the reason. of, like, good you know, linemen. Like, it's hard to get a full line of people exactly. who you'd be like, these are top players. You know, because, like, it would just cost way too much. Yep. Or I feel like the reason for that is because the game has changed in transition of speed. You know, the game is faster now. Defensive players are, like, not – they're more athletic. You know, they move way faster, linebackers and stuff. So, like, it's easy to break down and play. And I feel like that's what makes offensive lines look more weak in today's day and age, but makes quarterbacks look even better because now that you have to deal with the adversity of defenses being so fast, you can have a quarterback who's a dual threat that can throw you off your, your game and you don't know if he, either he's going to run or pass, which makes it more harder to game play game plan against an offense because, you know, he brings a quarterback brings more to the table. And I feel like Michael Vick was like the only quarterback from the 2000s that was, you know, that changed the game, but we weren't even ready for that because it was more of a physical type of game more than a, you know, speed than physical. That's a great point. I like that you said that, um, Justin, because um, at the end of the day, we see a lot of um, head coaches, and they're, and they're, we're going the young route now in a lot of the leagues. But in the NFL specifically, we've got the Cliff Kingsburys of the world. We've got my head coach and Kyle Shanahan. We've got um, even a guy like Sean McDermott over in Buffalo. I still consider him young, even though he's not technically young, young, the way they like to look at Sean McVay. Yep. Right. So the, the young route – is a thing now and they're trying to get um the young quarterback in there but the mobile quarterback because they think that um a lot of the offenses a lot of the defense won't be able to catch up with the offense whether it's through um trickery plays you know what i mean a lot of it comes through that and i think that's the way the league is kind of transitioning over 
but it's still a throwing league, so that's never going to change. But before we switch over to the ice rink, I actually wanted to talk to you guys about the return of Alex Smith. And just like we have a great return, we also have a great loss. And Dak Prescott went down this Sunday with a gruesome ankle injury. He wound, he wound up pretty much breaking his ankle. Um, Logan Ryan actually, um, he mistakenly wound up um, pausing it. But um, what do you guys think in general? Like, what were your thoughts on it, on both? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of the worst things that you can see in sports. I mean, like, you know, it's always, you know, as a diehard Giants fan, it's always, you know, tough to, it, but it doesn't matter, you know, like the end of the day, no one wants to see anybody get hurt and you definitely don't want to see anybody get hurt like that. And it's just, it's such, it, it was such a shame that like the same day that we're praising Alex Smith for going through this journey, we now have to watch one of the younger, one of the better young quarterbacks in the league who seems to have all those tools that we talk about. You know, he can stay in the pocket and pass Dak Prescott. He can run. He can do all these things. And now it's just, oh, man. that And and even if it was just a normal leg break, it would be tough. But it was it was just a, it was a gruesome injury to watch. But, you know, you, you prayers up for him. You definitely hope the best for him to come back and see what he can do because, you know, he was, he was on track to be – you know, I don't know how where he would have been on the all time, but he's definitely a, was considered a top five quarterback in the league now, and yes, you know he's only just entering his prime, and it's just it's a real shame to see that happen to anybody. Absolutely, uh, definitely. Go ahead, um, Justin. Uh, yeah, I was like just picking in on what you were saying. Um, I feel I feel for Prescott because it is a contract year for him, and we know that exactly what I was gonna bring up, right? You know, like. Long term, we don't know where he's gonna be on the Cowboys or like in the NFL. So like the fact that he was playing out of his mind this season for that contract, he, I think he's top five right now in passing yards. And although the the uh, Cowboys were struggling this season, he's been putting up his numbers and he's been trying to do as much as he can for the team. And now that he might not even be able to have a chance to get the contract he was looking for, it's kind of tough to see. And like um. Yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic now, like, when Ken said that uh, Alex Smith, we were praising him the same day he got injured. And it's just like, does he, like, have the mentality to, like, come back from that devastating injury like Alex Smith did? But only time to tell. Yep. Great point, guys. Um, Alex, before um, we switch over to the NHL, um, I was actually going to ask you, um, Stephen A. Smith tried to bring up um, a certain situation where he said that he was – a little bit angry at owner Jerry Jones for, in a sense, not paying um, Dak Prescott earlier as though um, kind of almost race-baiting, in a sense, saying that um, if it were Tony Romo, which almost six years ago you did, um, you would have paid him what he wanted. Um, but my controversy with that is that um, Dak Prescott wound up making his decision, and he was extended a contract offer. So what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I, I think the whole race baiting thing—it's—it's kind of silly, especially in situations like this. Like, just, just, just like think about it. Like the NFL, like anyone who does anything moderately racist, like you're in the fall and winter, like you are American lives. Like you are basically all America talks about. Like, why would you do anything like that to try to hurt yourself? They know that it's 2020. They know that that 
was about a curse, but they know that that stuff doesn't fly anymore, and it never should have flied. Mm-hmm. Like, to say that now, like, it just makes no sense. Like, it's the NFL. They have all the eyes on them. They, No one would ever do anything like that, especially now. And it's like a publicity thing. Like, you know, and for example, like Colin Kaepernick, like, I'm, I'm all for, you know, what they stand for and everything. It all makes sense. Right. But, like, he comes from, like, a very, what people would say, privileged background. Like, he went to a very nice private school, like, had a ton of money growing up. Like, he doesn't really know about, like, the real feelings of the people that he's trying to speak for, you know? The struggle. The struggle. Mm -hmm. Like, he hasn't really experienced it personally, which I think makes him bad, and then Mm -hmm. everyone trying to follow suit. It's all bad. If you're a professional athlete, you can have your opinions, whatever, but... Yeah. Don't try to pin it on something that it's yeah. probably not the case, especially now when it's one of the most popular things in the United States of America. Especially in the context of Dak, you know, like he got exactly. he got given a, a, a pretty lucrative contract. I think he was going to be That's one of the most highest paid quarterbacks in the game yeah. with the contract yeah. he was offered, and he turned it down. Which means, you know, and I said it at the time. I was like, I feel it feels like Dak shooting himself in the foot a little bit there. And, and he definitely did feel that. And, that and, and now, now look at him. And like, and again, it, it, it sucks. You don't want to see it happen. But you know, as far as the whole contract side of it, like when people saying like they need to make sure they take care of Dak, like Loki Dak was given a chance to take care of Dak. But was, you know, was, and it's one. it's fine. You know, and I think he'll be fine. You know, he's gonna come back. He's gonna get picked up by a team. It may not be the Cowboys, and. You know he'll he'll still be a quality quarterback, so he'll get his contract. He probably just you know he, he did unfortunately just cost himself a, a lot of a lot of money. Absolutely, but that was a great segment, you guys. But before we switch over to the ice rink, I want I want you guys to tell me about um what you guys thought about. Well, let's get get straight into it. No, let's talk about it. I mean, we have once again the newest and the new Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, wrapped up another season, and we're already getting the NHL free agency underway. So, Kent, why don't you tell us a little bit along the way what's going on in free agency? All right, well, the biggest free agent that we had on the market, I think any NHL fan would agree, was defenseman Alex Petrangelo. And he was, and he, longtime St. Louis Blue, won a Stanley Cup as the captain of the St. Louis Blues last season, and he hit free agency, and he ended up signing a seven-year, $81.6 million deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, the new team, Vegas has been really good literally since it was born three years ago. And they want a cup. They want it, and they want it now. And they're showing it with this signing. But, you know, there's a but with this one. It's, it's uh, you know, Petrangelo is on the wrong side of 30. He's, it's a seven-year deal. It's easily a deal that we can look at in the next four years. If Vegas doesn't win a cup or two, maybe this contract could become a problem because this is not one that's going to be able to be easily moved. So, you know, it's a, it seems like a good deal for the Vegas Golden Knights right now, but it definitely could backfire on them if they don't manage to win a cup soon. Uh, other deals, another big free agent that was on the, mor- on the market was Taylor Hall, uh, former MVP of the league, you know, former you know, high-scoring, great, great winger, and he signs a bridge deal, which a lot of people... Maybe not necessarily for Taylor Hall, but thought that bridge deals were going to become a thing because of the flat salary cap and the uncertainty in the future of the NHL and the NBA and whatnot. But Taylor Hall signs a one-year deal for $8 million with the Buffalo Sabres of all team. And it's really interesting to see what Buffalo's doing because we've 
you know, talked a lot about how their best player, Jack Eichel, is starting to get a little bit frustrated because the team isn't winning. And now they've, I, I kind of, it immediately felt like a, a rock and a hard place with this signing because if Taylor Hall performs in this one-year, $8 million deal, he's going to want an extension that's lengthy and lucrative, and maybe Buffalo won't be able to do it. And if he doesn't perform, well, then the Sabres are going to be bad again. And Jack Eichel will be even further out the door. So it's good to see that Buffalo is going for it. But I don't know. This just, that, 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 that seems like an odd signing for, for both of them. But hopefully it works out in the end. And also we got Henrik Lundqvist signing with the I Washington think, Capitals. Right, that, that is, I was going to tell you. That's that, the biggest one for me. Say, um, it's funny how some, and, and this is in the matter of objectivism, but it's funny how some legends come in and others come out. So why don't you and um, Alex put us on a little bit to the news that's going on. Um, Hendrik Lundqvist signs with the Capitals, but yet the Rangers wound up winning the lottery and wound up drafting Alexis Lafreniere. And mm-hmm. a lot of people wound up telling me that um, we're not going to take it that far. The kids got talent, but it's the kind of scary talent where one person put it, we're not saying he's Connor McDavid, but he's got that much talent. Well, the thing about him is, like, he does have that much talent. And, you know, uh, McDavid is a weird, is not exactly the player comparison I would draw. And, like, it, again, this is a very hefty comparison. It's almost not fair to do this to young players. But when I walk, watch his highlights and I look at the way he plays, he looks like a young Sidney Crosby. He looks like he plays the same way. And we all see what, like, what he was able to do. You know, he's won two MVPs, two Conn Smites, three Stanley Cups. The man's one of the best players of all time. And it, it's... A great for the Rangers that they got this kid coming in, and it's also great that he's coming to the Rangers because if if he had gotten signed, or if he had gotten drafted by a team like Detroit Red Wings or the Ottawa Senators or the Los Angeles Kings, they would need him to be that guy immediately. You know, they would need him to be that scoring winger, that franchise player. That franchise player. The Rangers, I they they look like they've got pieces. They've got pieces that can definitely help him. You know, he doesn't have to be the number one guy. They already got guys like Panarin, Zabanajad. You know, I just and now that we've got Lafreniere, it's this third, this three-headed dragon that the Ranger fans are certainly hoping will push them over the hump. And it's and it, certainly it, interesting to see. It's it's, it's it's funny because you you brought up a great point, Kat. It only happened a couple years ago, but we're past the years of Rick Nash, Dan Girardi, um. And, and so many other great um, Ranger players that are going to live in the hearts of, of Ranger fans forever. But um, it's funny how kind of like in this new almost millennial mindset, we kind of like think of four years ago as forever now. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is, is gone. That team is gone. It, was, it wasn't two years ago when the Rangers front office sent a letter on social media to all of their fans saying, hey, listen, the team is struggling right now. We're gonna start trading some players that you guys really liked, and it's gonna hurt, and it's gonna be. It's I know it's it's a business end, but we are looking to rebuild this team for the future. Well, the future is here, not two years later. So big credit to the Rangers front office for this rebuild. Yes, a little bit of luck involved. They won the draft lottery twice. Well, not twice. They got they jumped up from the eighth pick to the second pick last year, and now they've jumped up as a team that was borderline pushing the playoffs before the uh, the coronavirus pause. And now they get the number one pick. So a little bit of luck involved. But the Rangers have made some masterful moves. And, you know, they may not be there just yet. 
because the Metropolitan Division is very tough. There's a lot. There's there's eight teams in the division, and seven of them are good enough to make the playoffs, and only five of them will. So it's definitely going to be a tough situation for the Rangers and for every team in that division. But I think the Rangers are ready for that challenge. You know, they're they're excited about it, and you know, can't wait for that season to start. Now, if only the Knicks can find a little luck too. But that's a whole <laughs> different. That's a whole other conversation. But um, Alex, I wanted to get your views on. The legend of Hendrick Lumpwish signing with the Caps. What do you think about that deal? I know most Ranger fans themselves were kind of like, they left their faces upside down seeing their legend go the way they, they handled the situation and released it. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, if you have someone on your team for that long, it's, you know, very sad when they leave because you basically, especially for people like our age, like, in a sense, we grew up with them. You know, everyone knew Great about, point. like, the king of New York. And... And uh, what it really comes down to is, like, people just have to get over the fact that he decides to move on. And also, like, it's cool that the Rangers bought out, you know, his contract, which is basically just, like, you did great. Like, thank you. You know, why don't you go ahead and, and lay down for a little bit. And apparently Henrik's not done. He's going to go to the Cavs. Yeah. And we'll see what he does there. Maybe he could start. Maybe not. I think it's a very interesting thing to see what Henrik Lundqvist does with the Cavs because... It's it, it seems like a perfect situation for both of them because the Caps have their young goalie of the future. You know, they have Ilya Samsonov, who is they, they look at as their future. and But now they've got a guy like Henrik Lundqvist who is clearly just going to be there to mentor. He'll probably start eh, about half the games. He'll probably play. He can still play 35, 40 games and give you decent goaltending. No, he's but, not bad. He's very good. Yeah, and yeah, this isn't you know, is some journey this time. It's just the Rangers, it was time for them to move on. You know, the Rangers have their they have their guy as well. You know, Igor Shosturkin, they have their, their guy. They have a quality backup in Georgiev, who they actually just agreed to terms with, again, while we were filming this, recording this episode. But, you know, it, it, it hurts as a Ranger fan, and I'm sure everyone can agree with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's always a business thing. You wish him the best. You know, you know when he's done, he's gonna sign a one-day deal with the Rangers and retire as a Ranger, and he's going into the Hall of Fame. He's gonna get his number retired. Ranger fans and the Rangers in general do not take Henrik Lundqvist for granted, and he shouldn't. He's one of the better goaltenders of all time, and it really feels like the biggest failure of the Rangers organization that they had their best goaltender of all time and they were not able to deliver them a cup. But it's it, timing is everything, you know. Absolutely. And just like you said before, um, Ken, it's never easy to say goodbye, but that's exactly where we are at our show. And before we say goodbye, um, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, anybody who does tune in, um, we obviously are, are gracious um, with the first episode of the Unsportsmanlike Content Podcast. And before we go, any final thoughts, you guys? Any news that you guys want to cover? The Houston Astros just took a 3-1 to one lead on a two-run single by Michael Brantley. So it is now 3-1 to one at the end of three innings. Awesome, awesome. So. Well, that's, that's going to wrap it up for my boy Kent, my boy Alex, and my boy Justin. This is the Unsportsmanlike Conduct Podcast on SFC Radio. Please tune in. We'll be having more episodes as the semester goes on. Peace. Right. Thank, Thank you very you much, guys. everybody. Thank you. How did that, how did that sound, guys?